Tony East, who covers the Indiana Pacers for Forbes Sports, the Fieldhouse, and Locked On Pacers. You can find him on Twitter at TEastNBA. Tony, we're kind of combining this podcast here so we can both get our Pacers and our Bucks stuff in. How, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. Uh, it's getting cold here, and so basketball is the only thing keeping me warm. Rockets Clippers is on. It's a, it's a good night for hoops. For sure. It's definitely cold here in Wisconsin as well. Oh, We've yeah. had snow and everything. I- I just talked to David Brandon, who covers the Thunder, and I was telling him how cold it was because Oklahoma is warmer and I could get sympathy, but I can get no sympathy from a Milwaukee person about the weather. No, it's actually where I'm at. It's snowing right now, too. So I feel your pain. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, we wanted to talk about the Bucs and the Pacers. They have their first matchup on Saturday night. And, of course, you know, especially from a Bucs perspective, the return of Malcolm Brogdon, even though the game is in Indiana, it's still Malcolm Brogdon against his old team. So maybe if you're all right with that, Tony, if we start there, how how has Malcolm Brogdon looked in these first, what, 11 games as a Pacer? What are surprises, disappointments? What have you seen from him? Even I, as a... I was like, I'm into Malcolm Brogdon's game in general last year, like how he was with the Bucks. But I kind of imagined him just kind of being that player, just with a little bit more of the ball as a point guard. But the, you know that I've just been so surprised by how he's played this year. So at media day, I asked him straight up, like, "Is this an easy transition for you?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm better as a point guard. I'm more comfortable doing that." And he, you know, he always says it's because of his IQ and all this stuff. But like. There's very little NBA evidence. I mean, I guess his rookie year kind of, but not so much of him just like, yes, I can take the ball up every time and initiate all the offense and stuff like that. But he has been tremendous at it this year. He is getting to his spots. He's getting to the basket even. He, he's setting guys up. He's easily the team's leader in assists. Like he has four more than the second highest guy. And he's still scoring 21 points a game. His uh, points and assists averages are only being matched by Luka and LeBron this year. Like – that that's Malcolm Brogdon we're talking about. Like it's Bucks impressive. people should know that. Yeah, Bucks people should know that. Like that doesn't seem like his game. And I don't know how necessarily sustainable his numbers are, but his shooting isn't actually that good. He's at 47, 33, and absurd free throws right now. So maybe they can get better, maybe not, because he's obviously taking different shots and has different usage this year. But he's just been so much more complete as a point guard than I ever thought he'd be based on how he's played before. Yeah, I mean, the major issue, I think, from a a philosophy standpoint is his position, and I think that played a lot, um, a big role in as far as him not returning to Milwaukee and to the Bucs, because according to Cleaning the Glass, he spent two-thirds of his time at shooting guard last year, and the Bucks were a lot better when he was at shooting guard compared to when he was at point guard. I mean, they were good in both situations, but... According to Clean the Glass, they were in the 95th percentile among point differential. And I'm just looking at that now. And even though he's spending more of his time at point guard with the Pacers this year, the numbers say that they're a lot better when he's at shooting guard compared to point guard. I mean, those are kind of the advanced numbers. It's early. But, yeah, he's been killing it as far as with the with having the rock in his hands. Um I mean, his role in Milwaukee was really just a complimentary one where it was really that right. like, equal share offense. When the ball gets to him, he would have his chance. But this year, especially without Oladipo early on, the offense has ran through him. His usage has shot is crazy, and he's lost a little bit of his yeah. efficiency, but that's going to happen to anybody. He's still crazy efficient, still doing, you know, playing really well, finding his teammates. Um, one of the knocks against him was that he dribbled too much in Milwaukee. Have you noticed that? Does that come up in Indiana or is it not an issue because that's his role? That's what they want him to do. 
You know, um, so TJ McConnell is what I'm going to open my answer with. He has been awesome these last couple games, but in the first maybe four or five, he had some possessions where he just dribbled around in like a tornado for a solid 10 seconds. And it drove me crazy that he was dribbling so much. And so I think comparatively, I've never thought Brogdon was dribbling too much. He does have an occasional drive where like there's no shot for him and he'll just kind of whiz it over to the other wing and not really pass or set something up. But it's very infrequent. I don't think it happens so often that it necessarily bugs me. But I do think you know every once in a while he'll have a drive or a situation where he dribbles without necessarily like an end game obvious plan and that ha- you know I think a lot of players are guilty of that. But he you know as he transitions to point guard, it's going to happen every once in a while. Yeah, and it seems like he has a really good two man game going with Sabonis. Oh my gosh, ridiculous! Like especially as the clock is winding down, that kind of seems like the go to where. Sabonis will come and set that high pick and roll at the top of the key and they can really go to work with one another. Has have they already developed a chemistry or like a good look with one another? Yeah, they both uh I'm I'm sure you heard him say this last year. They both always talk about how they work so well together because they're both high IQ players and I, I think that's pretty obvious. Um you know, they just like it took a few feeler games like every new roster would, but like mm-hmm. I feel like they both just know where the other guy's going to be or like if he's going to surprise the defense and pop instead of roll or short roll instead or, you know, whatever. Like they just know it's almost telepathy already and it's only been 10 games. And I don't want to talk it up too much because, you know, it's Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis. This isn't like the deadliest pick and roll combo of all time, but it's been very good. Uh, Brogdon has 22 assists straight up to Sabonis this year. That's the second most. He has two as a specific player and he has nine assists from Sabonis, which is the most he, which is the most he has from another player. So they clearly link up quite a lot, and a lot of that's you know they, they play a lot together. But on Sabonis's side, it's it's a similar story. So uh, where most all, excuse me, the most of his assists have come from Brogdon. So I think it's very interesting how how quickly they've connected and, and shown a two man game. Uh, and I, I don't I don't see that going away. I think they just have this IQ telepathy that works well together. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that jumped out when I was watching Brogdon. Um, And this is kind of related to Brogdon, but also the Pacers as a whole, is Brogdon is taking a ton of mid-range jump shots, which Bucks, you know, they've really cut that out under Mike Budenholzer. But he's really, you know, he was maybe okay at that mid-range shot in the past, but never even really sought it out too much, especially last year. He really went with the flow, but this year he loves that mid-range shot, and so do the Pacers as a whole. Is that more of like a Brogdon thing from the mid-range, or is that just part of their game plan? You know, is that what they – do they want those mid-range shots? How does that look like for the Pacers? McMillan's always been more okay with them than other coaches and teams. He is more of a – his philosophy's always been more of – the open shot is better than like the efficient shot necessarily. And the Pacers are pretty good at generating open shots. It's just a lot of their, their efficiency can does have a ceiling cap when they take as many mid-rangers as they do because they do take near the top or the top of the league. It's usually them and the Spurs. I think it's three years running of those two teams being close to the top. And Brogdon is another guy who is doing that. He's taking almost a quarter of his shots from 16 feet to the three-point line. It's the second most on the team. Ironically, Goga is, is the highest, but he's only played six games. He keep the the shot that has Brogdon taking so many mid rangers is it's it'll be early in the set and he'll come around a screen from Sabonis and he'll stop at about 18 feet if no one you know if they both cover Sabonis on the roll and he's not afraid to just immediately shoot it and he's hitting a lot of them he's almost at 50 percent from that distance but 
It's just you you want you know every analytics person, especially Bucks fans in general, understand the cap you get shooting efficiency wise from that distance. Now again, if he's making them at the rate he's making them, it's fine. It's just a big change for him to see him take that shot all the time. Yeah, and that'll be open all day against the Bucks. I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's I a shot. Last year, the Bucks, the Bucks just said, you know what, Vic, if you're gonna pull up at the elbow, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because Brogdon. I mean, the Pacers know Milwaukee well, obviously too, but and Brogdon knows exactly what he can get against Boonholzer in this defense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here now for and, sure and do some. We're gonna make this a boxy boxier segment. So now the Middleton is hurt. He's not playing in this game. He's out for a long time. Uh, and the suddenly surface debate on Twitter of Brogdon Middleton exists, which is ridiculous. Chris Middleton is better. Um, <laughs> but it did. It, you know, I, I wonder, and I'm curious, I'm asking you, what is the sentiment around the Bucks now that Middleton is out? Like, yes, he's better than Brogdon, but do they miss Brogdon more, or do they feel like if he had stayed, he'd still be the same player he was? And the reason he's producing at the level he is is because of his new role. Yeah, I think that the first part about missing Brogan, I think if Middleton were ever to get hurt and to miss a month of the of the season, this would be the perfect time because the Bucks schedule is so soft and so weak over the next oh, four weeks. What are you saying about the Pacers, man? Well, I mean, even with it being so <laughs> soft, the, yeah, Pacers are one of the few teams that are, it wasn't a knock against the Pacers. They're one of the, like, maybe only two or three teams with a winning record over this next month that the Bucks wow. play. I just made that number up, but I know it's a really low number. But other than that, it's a bunch of losing teams. And so it's kind of like if there's ever a time for an injury like this to happen, this might be it because Milwaukee, they have depth. You know, they have a bunch of players with different skill sets and a bunch of young guys too who maybe have some potential. And so this is kind of their time to shine. This is their time to, you know, prove that they're ready for a bigger role. There's, I mean, Sterling Brown, who I expect to jump into the starting lineup, he didn't play for the first handful of games. He got an opportunity. He's been playing well over these last couple. And so he might be in line. You know, they have Pat Connaughton. They have Dante DiVincenzo, their first round pick. Yeah, so they, they have a bunch of just guys that could potentially slide in there. I mean, obviously, they're no Chris Middleton. But it'll be interesting to see how that works out because these guys know Boonholzer is going to play the hot hand. And so if they're playing well, they're going to get playing time. If they're not, they're going to be on the bench. And so this is their time to shine and they're hungry. They want that opportunity to be a part of a potential championship team. Um, And so that'll be interesting with Middleton, how that all plays out. As far as Brogdon goes, I mean... I think it's comparing apples to oranges for what he's doing with Indiana to what he did with Milwaukee or would be doing with Milwaukee because he would not be this ball-dominant guard like he is with the Pacers. He wouldn't be that if he stayed in Milwaukee. So his numbers would probably be pretty similar to last year, which like, is fine. He was great in his role last year. He's great in his role with Indiana this year. And so... I think Bucks fans are are split on, on that, but I think you know from my perspective, like I'm I'm happy for Brogdon. Like this is what he wanted. He said he wanted the ball in his hands. He's proving that he was right. You know he bet on himself and he's been right. You know it's a small sample size, but it couldn't have gone any better to start. So I think you know he's in a great role for himself. The Bucks they still have depth. They still have guys. I mean obviously Brogdon would be the best option of. Sterling Brown, Pat Connaughton, DiVincenzo Brogdon would be a way better player to step up if he were still in Milwaukee. But the Bucks, they'll be fine. I mean, Giannis, I think he'll be able to do even more. Eric Bledsoe has been playing well. You know, they have guys that can come and fill that void 
early in the season and against this schedule. You know, if it was in the postseason, that'd be a whole different story. Um, if it was against a whole slate of tough competition, whole different story. But against what they have coming up, I think that, you know, this is kind of a time for them to experiment and see for sure what they got in some of these young players. Um, because Brown, he'll be a restricted free agent next year. Pat Connaughton, he'll be an unrestricted free agent next year. And they're probably unlikely to be able to pay up and keep both of them. You know, they're both on really cheap contracts. So this might give them some insight too about who they want to keep or if they even want to keep one of those guys. Yeah, I really like Pat Connaughton there. I hope hope he thrives if he gets an expander. I don't know why I think he's like, he's not like so good, but I think he's clearly a solid role player. I think it's funny you said Giannis can do more because I think he clearly can. He's not even playing that many minutes. He's at like 33. Mm-hmm. But it's just so funny to look at the guy averaging 30, 14, and 7 and be like, yeah, he could step up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing some research. I said this on my podcast already, so my listeners are getting a duplicate stat here. So Sabonis is averaging, uh, at the time of recording this, 20, 13, and 4. Okay, So I looked up that stat line to see when the last time it happened was, and it was 2005 Kevin Garnett. But the other person doing it right now is Giannis. And so it doesn't even matter because two guys are doing it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Giannis, he's just crazy. He's got, I mean, he's talked about being at 60% of his potential. Um, My God. <laughs> that was kind of his line in the off season is that he still wants to get better. And even though his shooting is maybe making tiny improvements, we've seen in other areas of his game, you know, his playmaking his vision and his passing that's really I think where we've seen that leap this year and it's still not even perfect a lot of times like he's getting to the point now where he can make the correct read most of the time but his passes aren't always accurate and on time and you know that's what really separates like LeBron from others is it's not just the court vision but it's the passing accuracy and the timeliness and Giannis he's still a bit wild with some of his passes and I think you know he's 24 years old so that will still you know mature and he'll grow into that but I think you know it's not like players just take huge leaps year after year especially when they get to this stage it's these small changes and these constant changes that really then separate them from great into elite yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing him against the pacers i've I've caught a few bucks games but obviously you know you and i both pay more attention to the games of the teams that we cover Mm -hmm. but i'm mostly interested in this game to see who the pace how and who the pacers put on the honest to guard him because thad young who Giannis himself mentioned last year is one of like the best guys at stopping him is gone yeah and i have no idea who's gonna cover him uh in this game it's very interesting to me it would have to be one of Sabonis or Turner, right? I agree. I think it's going to be Sabonis. I'm, I'm. If I had to put a number on, I'd be like seventy percent sure it'd be Sabonis, but I don't know. You know, you just never know. Like T.J. Warren is kind of tall, mm-hmm. so maybe, yeah. but he's kind of weak. And Turner, you kind of want around the basket, but like Giannis isn't really a super good threat away from the rim. But at the same time, he can get ahead of steam going to the bat. I don't know. I just have no idea. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of it will depend on who the Bucks slide into that starting lineup too. Um, right, I mean, right, if they go with Sterling true. Brown, that would impact. But I, I think there's also an outside chance Milwaukee could go big. They could put Ursan or they could put Giannis at the three inside someone like Ursan or DJ Wilson in as a starting like as a starting four. And so then I think then they could or might be more likely to go with somebody like Warren or something like that. So I think yeah, part of it will depend too on you know who the Bucks slide in their starting lineup and. I mean, the Bucks will play Thursday night against the Bulls, so we'll already know probably who that is before the Pacers and the Bucks play. Yeah, DJ Wilson. The back-to-back DJ Wilson, TJ Leaf picks are uh, are not the uh, making the Pacers and Bucks fans the happiest. That's for sure. 
Um, so as far as I heard you mentioned before, so I just wanted to kind of capture this point not capture, but just talk about a little bit. There was that debate going on about Middleton versus Brogdon. Stupid debate. I heard you clearly. Stupid debate. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. I mean, from my point of view, like I think Middleton is better, but like at this point, I'm like, I don't really care to argue it. Like I just, why can't we be happy for both players? Like they're both thriving. They're both, they're both playing very well. Um, and like, Let's just be happy for both. Maybe a younger, more immature version of me would be all into this. Um, <laughs> but like, it's like they both are in great situations and like, that's, that's all you can ask for, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, like, I think the gap is way smaller than I thought before the season started, but like the one who mm-hmm. was an all-star last year and is still very good is the better player to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love I love Chris Melton so much. <laughs> I think he's so good. I wanted him. I think he would have been a great fit next to Vic if he was ever available. But mm-hmm. uh, money talks, so that uh, that did not happen. Are we are, are we blaming Snotty for starting that debate? That's the first guy. So <laughs> yeah, I think he kind of you know poked the flames, but uh, <laughs> uh, or stoked the flames. But um, yeah, I've seen it, it pop up in other ti- in other places too. And yeah, you got another. I got another guy that we got to talk about. Yeah. How are how are the Bucks like in uh, Wesley Matthews, former Pacer? He's had an interesting start. I think that if you just look at like his basic numbers, they aren't the friendliest to him. Um, but I've been impressed with you know he's a veteran leader. His defense, he is typically in the right spot at the right time. Um, he knows you know what's expected of him, and he's taken on some pretty good challenges. Um, like he did okay against James Harden or like at least okay as you can against someone like James Harden. Um, so I think his defense has been there, but for like most like casual fans, I would guess that, you know, they're not too impressed with him. His three point shooting, you know, he's been in a slump shooting worse than he ever has at any point in his career. And that really just jumps out the page or jumps off the page, especially when Brogdon is putting up these numbers, you know, Wesley Matthews isn't necessarily a Brogdon replacement. He's more of like a Tony Snell replacement, but it's hard not to compare those two players. So I think it's been a slow start, but he has that Wisconsin background, you know, go on. He went to school, high school in Madison, college uh, at Marquette. And so I think fans are willing to stick in there with him, but it hasn't been the best start by most accounts. Yeah, his uh, three point percentage is not looking super great. Uh, does he still do the archery thing for you guys, right? He so, does, yeah. Yep. Yes, that is my favorite thing about Wesley Matthews. You kind of nailed how he was in Indiana. He was actually a pretty solid three-point shooter here. He was like the only guy named McMillan would just let Chuck mm-hmm. no matter what. Because he, he you know, he has the same move every time. You guys have seen it for, whatever, 11 games now. The one dribble to the right, jump behind the line three is like his move. But he makes it like about league average on a decent volume. He's not this year, but... That's a useful player when he's as good as D is. Like you said, he can – not great, but he can capably lock up good ball handlers. And, yeah, I, I liked Wesley Matthews quite a bit when he was here. I thought he was a good 3 and D guy that every team could use. But I, I'm sad that the casual fans don't uh, don't enjoy the Wesley Matthews experience. I, I think they'll come around. I mean, he's shown throughout his career that he is going to be an above-average three-point shooter, and I don't think it will drastically change this much. You know, it's a small sample right. size. It's only been 10 games. Well, um, and it'll, he'll break out of it with like an, an eight-for-nine game <laughs> in Indiana or something like that. Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. 
the revenge game. I don't think there's any ill will. It's just funny. Yeah, and well, and his role is a lot different with Milwaukee. I mean, he's that fifth starter behind Bledsoe, behind Middleton, behind right. Giannis. Is he just, is he just in the corner a lot, kind of? Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. you know his usage is way down. He just basically is there to space the floor, and if his guy helps, catch and shoot. You know, he's not asked to do a lot of that shot creation. Right. Really, hardly any shot creation, no matter who he's on the court with. Um, so he's just really that fifth guy that is supposed to be able to make make opponents pay when they build the wall against Giannis or whatever you want to call it, kind of that defense that the Raptors showed in the Eastern Conference Finals. He's supposed to be out there that can help, you know, make guys pay. And a lot of it is just his willingness to shoot it. You know, a lot of the talk of right now is about, like, the gravity that each player has. Um, I think it was Seth Partnow, or I'm guessing it was him, but he said it's not necessarily – the gravity that a player has it's a gravity that a player is given by the defense and and part <laughs> right. of that is your your willingness perception. to shoot from the outside yeah perception yeah. and and somebody like Brogdon who only took maybe four threes a game in Milwaukee compared to somebody like Matthews who will take eight or nine and that's in those same situations you know that plays into it even if he's not hitting as many um and so I think just that willingness to shoot from the outside is helpful for him and his percentages will come around if I had to guess yeah, I would also guess that. All right, I'm putting you on the spot for one tough game preview question. I'm ready. What is the Bucks' biggest weakness this season? Ooh, biggest weakness. <laughs> like, specifically related to the Pacers or just in general? No, no, no. Just in, like, the the thing that is the plaguing the Bucks the most, and I guess in theory that the Pacers could also exploit, but I'm just talking in general, what is plaguing the Bucks this year? Oh, um, because their statistical profile, their shot profile, all looks very good. So there's got to be a, a way to puncture through this team somewhere, right? Yeah, I I think the biggest thing that just jumps out to me is maybe their that maybe their reliance on threes on too many threes. Um, they're not getting to the hoop as nearly as often this year. Part of that because Brogdon. Um, you know, he had a lot of drives, he had a lot of shots around the hoop. Um, he's gone. And so that really leaves it with Bledsoe and Giannis is really the only two guys who can get to the hoop on a consistent basis. Um, I say that and defenses are really locked in on, all right, like we're, we're willing to give up threes as long as Bledsoe and Giannis aren't getting to the hoop, you know, cause they fi- finish at such a high level. And so when that happens, you know, you're not going to just keep pounding it into three or four defenders you're going to have to kick it out and those guys have been open and they've been shooting and they've gone through a lot of cold streaks you know two of the losses that the bucks have suffered they've been up huge we're talking 20 points in the second halves of game against miami heat and the boston celtics all of a sudden they went cold um couldn't make any threes they couldn't get to the rim they kept chucking threes and then their defense suffered as a as a result as well and so i think that's the thing is and then I think it's just forcing them to shoot from the outside and and hope that their guys aren't going to make it. And then you take advantage of that. You get the defensive rebound and you run with it if you're the opponent. So I think that's been their biggest weakness so far is that sometimes they just rely on that three-point shot and they don't have a guy who can get a bucket when they're going through a slump outside of Giannis and Bledsoe, um, especially with Middleton out right now. Live and die by the three, right? That's what they say. Yeah. I mean, the analytics, you know, it's not an awful shot, but when you – aren't hitting it for I mean what we've seen is like quarters stretches of quarters at a time that's that's difficult to do yeah Yeah. um I mean they're still about like league average a little bit below from the three-point line but they've just yeah when you hit eight out of ten or eight out of twelve shots whatever then that number is going to regress to the mean as well 
There you go. I think the Pacers will try to uh, contest those threes and keep them off, but who knows? It's very tough when you have a guy like Giannis who can literally create any shot on any possession. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it takes more than one guy to shut him down, usually three or four guys, and then that's <laughs> how it yeah. works out. We always, uh, we always on this show bring up the phony strategy that's not actually like a real thing you can do of just like yeah just like let let Giannis do his thing and stop everybody else but like if you let Giannis do his thing he'll have like 50 and 20 and then you lose anyway yeah I think with him I mean there's not much of a variation when you're shooting at the rim and dunking the ball all the time so (laughs) right yeah there's a reason he's shooting 66 percent from two-point range Mm -hmm. it's just a nuts stat so what is your prediction for the game on Saturday night? How do you think that it plays out? You know, being in Indiana, they'll have the advantage there. Saturday night, I'm guessing it'll be a lit crowd. They'll be excited. How do you, <laughs> what are your predictions? Yeah, the, the Patriots have put together decent game plans to defend Giannis in the past, but a lot of that, like I said earlier, is kind of reliant or was kind of reliant on having Thaddeus Young. So I think that, you know, even if they're hyped up to, you know, this is the best team in their division – one of the best teams in the league in the conference. It's just going to be hard to stop him, right? And this this team, the Pacers this year, uh, one of their problems is that they foul a ton. They're like 25th in the league in fouls, and almost all that's coming from their big men. And I just feel like if that happens, you know, their big men rotation gets thrown off, and Giannis is having an incredible game, they just have no way of getting into enough rhythm to, to score enough points to win this game. So I think they, they can, uh, you know, especially as Middleton out, be capable of keeping up in terms of overall impact in the backcourt and maybe even on the wing. But I think Giannis is just gonna is just so good and the Pacers don't have a good enough matchup for him that the the Pacers don't have a great shot of winning. So you're saying they're gonna lose? Uh yeah, if you made me uh we actually <laughs> predicted every game of this week and I did uh I did in fact predict the Bucks would win this game. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I could see it going either way. Um I mean, the Pacers are going to be on the second night of a back-to-back, so I think that'll help a little bit. Oh, but wait, what if I told you they played James Harden the night before? Is that good or bad? Brutal back-to-back for their their defense. Yeah, yeah, it'll be tough. And they're coming from Houston, too, so it's not like they'll be in Indiana. You know, that they'll probably be, be, depending on how late the game goes, they probably won't get back to Indiana until early I think their only chance is like that game they had last year. What did Giannis have, like 14 or something? 16, 12. They, they have to have that game again to win. And the only reason he only had 12 is because he only shot six times. That's mm-hmm. the only chance they have. And, and I don't I don't think they have a way that they can do that again this time. Yeah, well, and the Pacers, they played Milwaukee tough. I think there's another game where they had Milwaukee on the ropes going into the fourth quarter. I don't know yep. if that's the same one. And the Bucks had to... That was February, but yes, yep. I remember that game very well. That was in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, and the Bucks, you know you know they're on the ropes when Budenholzer goes to their switching defense. You know, he likes to stay in that drop pick and roll coverage, but you know he's really worried when he goes to that switching defense. And I remember last year, I, I want to say, and I'm just, I, if you have it up in front of you, let me know, but... um. I think the Pacers had a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter, and then the Bucks. I'll open it and look, but I don't remember. Okay, and then the Bucks went into their switching defense and were able to come all the way back and win, I think, by like six or eight or something like that. So Pacers, they play tough. I think that young— Pacers were up by three going into the fourth. Oh, wow. But got smacked around in the fourth. They only scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. Okay, so I guess I was partially right, but mostly wrong. 
<laughs> you had the game flow right. Like, I wonder if they were up big at the beginning of the fourth, too, or something. Like, I can only see the breakdown by quarter right now. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I, I mean, I think the Pacers always played them tough. So I could see us going either way. But I think, you know, the Bucks will, will be the most well rested team. It'll only be their second game in six days because they last played on Sunday. They'll have a game Thursday night. Um, but yeah, I just don't see anyone who can guard Giannis, even without Middleton there. There's just nobody on the. Pacers roster that can slow down Giannis and if they you know throw out a team effort in there the buck shooter should be open and they sh- they'll have the fresher legs and hopefully be able to knock him down so I'm gonna go with the homer take is go with the homer take and uh <laughs> I don't call that a homer take okay you were right though I I'm I'm on the box score as I'm listening to you so it was 79 76 going into the fourth and then the Pacers got it to 86 76 so there's your 10 point lead all right okay with nine nine and a half minutes left and then the bucks just roared it back Perfect. So I kind of redeemed myself there, right? You did. You 100% redeemed yourself. So at the 10-point game, uh, Brooke Lopez came into the game and Chris Middleton came into the game. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Those guys sparked the run. Nice, nice. All right. Anything else that you wanted to cover before we wrap this up? Not really. I'm looking forward to this one. It's uh, the best team the Pacers will have played this year, including the Rockets. Sorry, Rockets people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I, I'm just looking forward because their schedule's been pretty weak. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they do against really stellar competition. Awesome, yeah. And you can find Tony on Twitter at TEastNBA, and I'm Brian Sampson. You can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. Hey!